So Matthew chapter, 12, uh, chapter 5, sorry, verses 1 to 12, page 830. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And our second reading is from Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These are the words of him who was the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. This is the word of the Lord. Nice to see you sitting. My name is Paula Hermetti. I'm going to pray first as we come to this part of God's word. Father, thank you for this chance to gather in safety and in freedom. Thank you for your word in our own tongue. Thank you that we can read it. Thank you for your spirit that gives us understanding. He's our teacher, our guide. Father, tonight we want not just to understand your word, but to believe it and to live it. And so we pray, Spirit of God, work powerfully in and through your word tonight. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Uh, don't you long to hear these words, well, uh, well done, good and faithful servant. Just, just think back to the end of your life. As you cross that finish line, you've run the, run the race, you've fought the good fight, and Jesus says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't you long for that? Uh, Jesus will say to this man, Zahir, well done, good and faithful servant. Zahir lives in Afghanistan right now. He was born in a strict Muslim family. But every day he wears his handkerchief around his neck. He's got the words of Psalm 91 on it. 
The Lord is my refuge and my fortress. Because, because Zahir is a born-again Christian. He met Jesus. He got baptized. And every day, Zahir wakes up and he opens his Bible and he reads his Bible. No shock there, eh? Except in Afghanistan, if you open your Bible and read your Bible, you could face death. Every day, he lives in fear of being found and being persecuted and being tortured. He doesn't go looking for death, but if his friends or family ask him, are you a Christian, he will say, yes, I do believe in Jesus. Well done, good and faithful Zahir. The the lady in the middle is called Leah. And Jesus will say to Leah, well done, good and faithful servant. Do you remember back in 2018, there was the, the Islamic terrorist groups, the Boko Haram, who kidnapped those Nigerian schoolgirls. Remember that? 105 schoolgirls were taken to captivity. 104 schoolgirls were released. One remains captive. This is her. Her name is Leah. She's about to turn 19. The rumor has it that she's been forced to marry one of her abductors and she's had two kids by him. So the, so the question is, why haven't they released her? I'll tell you why, because Leah refuses to renounce her faith in Christ. Leah says steadfastly, I do believe in Jesus. And for that very reason, she's held captive today. And Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful Leah. They say, well done, good and faithful Rachel. That, la- that lady is called Rachel Scott. She wrote a book called Rachel Tears. Uh, she was the first person to be shot in the Columbine High School massacre in 1999. And the two gunmen deliberately targeted her because she was a born-again Christian. As a gun was pointed to her head, they were heard to ask, will you renounce your faith in Christ? And she said, no, I will not. If it costs me everything, so be it. She gave her life for Christ. And Jesus would say, well done, good and faithful Rachel. These are not cheery stories, but they're real stories. I could talk about Mariam and Mazier, these two courageous Iranian women who spent time in jail because they handed out Bibles. I could talk about the 12 men that we support of a church who are currently sitting in jail in northern Vietnam just because they're Christians. I could talk about Cranmer, Latimer, and Ridley, who were burnt at the stake in Oxford in 1555 for their faith. Or I could talk about real people in this church, because there are members of the Bridge Church who are cut off from their families, ostracized from their families, ridiculed by their friends because they're believers in Christ. There are people in our church who have been shunned by their work colleagues, have been sacked from their workplaces because they've spoken out for Christian ethical values. There are kids in our church who are not invited to other children's birthday parties because they're known as the Christian kids. Now, now, we might not face the death penalty, but it's hard to be a Christian here in Sydney sometimes, isn't it? And the reason I'm sharing these stories is because tonight we're looking at the church of Smyrna. It is known as the persecuted church or the suffering church. The bishop of Smyrna was a man called Polycarp. Here he is. He is such a godly man. He watched his life and doctrine closely. He was full of compassion and kindness and grace and love. And yet 
the government at the time, they arrested him and they dragged him into the arena and a large crowd jeered at him and sneered at him. And the government said these words, curse Christ and worship the emperor. Deny your faith and worship Caesar. And Polycarp said these now famous words, 86 years have I served Jesus and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Uh, he was warned, we have wild beasts, we're thrown to the beast. And Polycarp said, send for them, I have nothing to fear. If you despise the wild beast, I will send for the fire. And Polycarp said, thou threatenest the fire that burns for but an hour and in a little while is quenched. But thou knowest not the fire of the judgment to come, the fire of hell. Bring what thou wilt. And so they led him to the stake, and there they burned him. Except that rumor has it that they burned, the fire didn't touch him. Praise God for that. So they got a dagger, and they stabbed him to death. And this bold, courageous, godly man, he died a martyr's death. Why? Because he believed in Jesus. And, and Jesus would say, well done, good and faithful Polycarp. This is the church we're looking at, the church of Smyrna, this small, oppressed persecuted, suffering church. Remember last week, the church of Ephesus? They had all the programs. They were busy, but they'd forsaken their first love. And Jesus said to Ephesus, it's not about your deeds, it's about your devotion to Jesus. It's not about your duty, it's about your delight in Jesus. Reclaim your first love. And when it comes to Smyrna, we've got this suffering church, and it's one of the two churches that are not criticized Everything is good at Smyrna. He says, well done, church. And I reckon this is a paradox because this weak, small, poor, persecuted church is commended. But the rich, competent, impressive, so-called successful churches, like Sardis and Laodicea, they are condemned. And I wonder whether we need to learn from that because my fear is here in Kiribati Neutral Bay, Macquarie Park, we kind of evaluate a church based on worldly standards. We, we evaluate based on budget or buildings or bums on seats. We talk about ministries or members as though that makes us successful. But Jesus looks at this, this oppressive, oppressed rather, troubled, harassed, hated church and says, well done, good and faithful servants. So I want to say, verse 11, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit's going to say to us tonight. Let's look at it, verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, right. So for your geography, Smyrna is about 60 kilometers north of Ephesus. It's a rich town. It's predominantly Greek. It is known for its harbor, beautiful harbor, a bit like San Francisco, Rio, or, or even Sydney. Homer was born there. Alexander the Great rebuilt it. It was known for its, its Greek pride, its Roman arrogance, and its Christian persecution. And it got its name Smyrna from the word myrrh. Smyrna. Uh, myrrh is this, this resin that's used to embalm the dead. But the thing about this resin, about this myrrh, is that the, the scent, the beautiful scent, only came about when the myrrh was crushed or grounded. And that is the church in Smyrna. It is totally crushed but giving off this beautiful aroma to God. 
So here's the condition. I've said persecution and poverty, persecution and poverty. It is so dangerous to be a Christian in Smyrna. Romans hated you, Greeks abused you, Jews slandered you. He says, verse 9, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you're rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. He says, I know your afflictions. The word there for affliction is the word that means a, a heavy stone used to grind wheat or to squeeze juice out of grapes. That's how they felt as Christians. They were crushed. They were weighed down. They were oppressed. They were beaten, tortured, attacked, ostracized. Just so you understand it, in Smyrna, there were shrines everywhere to these so-called gods and goddesses. And if the Christians in Smyrna had said, oh, that's okay, we'll just compromise and we'll bow down to those false gods, they would not have suffered. But they refused to do that. They said, no, Jesus Christ is the one true God. And for that, they were beaten, tortured, and ostracized. And just so you understand the nature of the afflictions, have you heard of the Emperor Nero? His nickname was The Beast. His pastime, his hobby was to find a Christian and tie them to a stake and dip them in tar and set them alight. And he, he used Christians as human torches for his garden. That's how barbaric it was. We're not talking a slight slap on the wrist. We're talking barbaric afflictions. I know your afflictions. I know your poverty, says Jesus, because it was difficult for the Christians to make a living in Smyrna. People wouldn't trade with you. People boycotted your shops. People would not employ you just because you had faith in Christ. So in the middle of this wealthy city, you've got this very, 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 very poor church. And can I say, Bridge Church, if material gain or wealth is your goal in life, you'll find it really hard to be a Christian. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Around the globe today, the cost for following Jesus is often poverty. I know your affliction, I know your poverty, verse 9, I know your slander, the slander of those who say they're Jews and are not. The Christians there were being bad-mouthed, they were being bitched about and gossiped about and lied about. All these false rumors about them. They were accused of incest because of the, the brotherly love language. And they were accused of cannibalism because of the the Lord's Supper language over the body and blood of Christ. And Jesus says, he's not being anti-Semitic there, he's being anti-sin. He says, they claim to be Jews, but they're not. Outwardly, they're circumcised. Outwardly, they obey the Lord, but they're not really Jewish. They're not really belonging, belonging to God. And Jesus says, I know what you're experiencing, afflictions and poverty and slander. And by the way, it's going to get worse. Verse 10, don't be afraid of what you're, going, you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil, now God is over it, God sees it, God knows it, think Job. The devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you'll suffer persecution for 10 days. Uh, that, that 10 days could be literal, I think it's symbolic, I think it's a short period of time. It's a fixed short period of time, but compared to eternity, it's just 10 days. Bonhoeffer said this, Verbal abuse and physical suffering. That's the badge of the true Christian. Let me ask you, have you ever suffered for your faith? Have you ever, ever suffered for your faith? 
You ever slandered for being slandered for being a Christian? My gut response is probably not. Because, hey, we live in Sydney. But I want to say, if not, why not? If not, why not? If we stood up and spoke out for Christ, then surely not everybody's going to like it, are they? Now, I want to recognize and apologize that when Christians do stand up and speak out, often they speak with such arrogance and such hatred and vitriol and bigoted and homophobic behavior. Let's apologize for that. But if, if we as the Christian men and women, if, we, if we're seeking to stand up for Jesus and speak in a, in a loving, gentle, kind and godly way, then surely not everyone's going to like it, are they? Read your Bibles. Paul suffered. He was kicked out of Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Thessalonica, Berea, Corinth. Peter suffered. Read Hebrews chapter 11. The Christians faced jeering and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated, and the world was not worthy of them. And I hope you realize this is not just confined to biblical times. As we sit here in the compass of Kirribilli, millions of Christians around the world today are suffering for their faith. If you are clueless about the persecuted church, can I encourage you to find out about it? Around the world today, about one in three churches meet in secret for fear of persecution. As we sit here, about 600 million Christians live in fear of imprisonment for their faith. Last year, about 100,000 Christians were martyred for their faith in Christ. And the situation is getting worse, not better. Now, the Bible says, remember those who are suffering, stand in solidarity with those in chains. Do you do that? Do you have a heart for your brothers and sisters who are in chains right now? And if you say to me, Paul, I, I don't know much about the persecuted church, well, find out about it. It's not hard. The Voice of the Martyrs, here's the website, is an incredible organization. We support them. Just go onto that website tonight and just click on subscribe, and they'll send an email to you every single day with a prayer point for someone who's persecuted. Or go to Open Doors website and, and read these stories of these incredible men and women of faith who are standing firm for Jesus. Will we stand with them? Will we pray with them? But then again, we don't experience it, do we? It's not our reality here in Australia. Well, it might be. You know, religious tolerance is changing. As a parent of four boys, I look to the future and think, well, what kind of environment will my boys grow up in? And will they suffer persecution that I haven't suffered? Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. He didn't say, be persecuted for your obnoxious behavior. He didn't say, be persecuted for your inflammatory language or stupid, arrogant comments. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And I want to say, church, if we are seeking to live a righteous life, if seeking to be godly and pure and upright, if we're seeking not to conform to the patterns of this world, if we're seeking to have different values to the world then don't be surprised if you suffer for your faith. 
John Stott says a quite damning comment about Western Christianity. We are way too respectable, conventional, presentable, ineffective, soft Christians. I think he's right. That's the condition, poverty and persecution. The comfort is this, it's called intimacy and identity. Now, as you read this letter, you, you want Jesus to say, it'll all be okay. Everything will be fine. Things will get better. But he doesn't say that. In fact, he says things might get, get worse. But then Jesus says something which is way, way, way more comforting than just, it'll be okay. The, the two little words that will bring you real comfort, real peace, no matter, no matter what your heartache, your hardship, your trial or tragedy is right now. There are two words in verse 9. He says, I know your afflictions. I know your poverty. I know your slander. I know your suffering. I know, he says. As I said last week, he's the only person who can say, I know. Because Jesus is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows everything about everybody and every situation. He knows when you sit and when you rise. He knows the word on your lips before you, you, you say it completely. He says to his church in Smyrna, to us today, I know everything about what you're going through. I see you, I hear you, I know you. That's a comfort, isn't it? Do you remember back in Exodus when God's people were oppressed by the Egyptians? They were in slavery and they, they cried out to God. And Exodus 2 had these amazing words. God heard their groaning, God saw his people, and God knew their suffering. Now, the situation didn't change immediately. The suffering might not stop. It doesn't solve your problem. It doesn't remove the pain. It doesn't stop the perplexities. But, but that comfort to know that God hears, God sees, and God knows. You know, and when a friend knows, that's nice. When a spouse knows, that's comforting. But when your reigning, risen, ruling king knows and sees you and hears you, that is life-transforming. Jesus says to us, I know your broken heart, I know your tears, I know your fears, I know your suffering, I know your sadness, I know your darkness, I know your desires, I know your pain, I know your problems, I know, I know, I know. And it's not just that he knows, it's who, it is who knows. How does Jesus describe himself in verse 8? These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came back to life again. He says, I'm, I'm the first and the last. I, I, I was there at the beginning. I'll be there at the end. And that phrase means that he's not just there at the beginning and at the end. He's there every single step of the way, every second of every minute of every hour of your life. He never leaves you, never forsakes you. Or it could mean the first and the last that he, he goes before you. He walks ahead of you. And he comes behind you. So he's there at the beginning, he's there at the end, he goes before you, he comes behind you, he says, there's nothing that happens in your life that I don't see and know. And more than that, the comfort of Christ is that not just he knows it, but he's experienced it. He died. He was afflicted. He experienced poverty. He experienced slander. He suffered. You can't say he doesn't know. He's been here. That's what makes Christianity so unique. John Stott says, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. 
in the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who is immune to pain? I went to many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of Buddha, legs crossed, arms folded, eyes closed, a remote look on his face, detached from the agonies of this world. But each time after a while, I had to turn away. I've turned instead to the lonely, twisted, tortured figure of Jesus on that cross. Nails through his hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry, intolerably thirsty, plunged into God-forsaken darkness. That is my God for me. My God laid aside his immunity to pain. My God entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. And our sufferings become more manageable in light of this. There's still a question mark over, over human suffering. But over it, we boldly stamp another mark, the cross, that symbolizes divine suffering. I, I don't know what pain you're suffering right now. I don't know what heartache you'll face in the future. But I do know this, that Jesus will be with you. He will see you, he will hear you, and he will carry you. That's the intimacy. The identity is there in verse 9. I say, I know your affliction and your poverty. Look at his next words. Yet you are rich. Isn't that countercultural? This church, they have nothing. They are poor. They have no homes. They have no jobs. They have no superannuation. They are nothing. They're nobles. And yet Jesus says, you are rich. You are somebody. Because these Christians in poverty are spiritually rich in Christ. And if you're here tonight as a believer in Christ, that is your identity. Please don't define yourself by the house you live in, the car you drive, the schools your kids might go to, your success in career. Please don't define yourself by your, your marital status or your educational achievements or your, your sufferings or your hardship. You're defined by Christ. And Christ says you're rich. And you're rich because in Christ you have these incredible spiritual blessings. In Christ you are, you are fully forgiven. Past, present and future, all washed clean by the blood of Jesus. In Christ you're rich because you're, you're adopted, you're, you're chosen by God, you're a child of God, you're secure in his arms. In Christ you are known, you are loved, you are redeemed, you are restored, you are have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. You've got a Father who is at work for good in all situations. That's your identity. Now, the persecuted church needed to hear this, and I think we need to hear this. Because my fear is that we start to define ourselves by the standards of this world. Your identity is that you are rich in Christ. And when you understand that, you might rejoice. Richard Wormbrandt was the founder of Voice of the Martyrs. He was in prison for 14 years, mostly in solitary confinement. He writes this. Communism promotes happiness from material satisfaction. But alone in my cell, cold, hungry, and in rags, just me and Jesus, I dance for joy every night. Sometimes I felt I'd burst if I didn't give some expression to my joy in Jesus. How does he do that? He does that because when he's got nothing, he's got Christ. I want to say, church, the, the happiest, most joyful Christians I know 
have often been taken to the depth of despair and suffered the most and found that their security and their identity is in Christ alone. The condition, persecution, poverty, the comfort is, is identity and intimacy. Lastly, the command. Jesus says, be faithful, not fearful. Be faithful, not fearful. See, there's two commands in verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Verse 10, be faithful even to the point of death, and I'll give you life as your victor's crown. Don't be afraid, he says, of what you're about to suffer. Let's be honest, fear is the normal human reaction. None of us like suffering. None of us would choose suffering. We naturally fear suffering. We, we fear the pain. We fear the unknown. We fear the what's next. We fear being out of control. I don't like this. We live in fear. So how can Jesus say, don't be afraid? And the answer is your theology. Because bad theology will say, when I'm in pain, God's against me. And good theology says, when I'm in pain, God is still for me. And bad theology says, if I'm in pain and suffering, then I can fix this. I must fix this. I must sort this out. And good theology says, in my pain, God will fix it. God will sort it out. God will hold on to me. I've got a father there. He's all-knowing. He's all-loving. All He's all-powerful. He's going to teach me and refine me and shape me and keep me and comfort me. So I won't be afraid. We will suffer. All of us will suffer. We'll either suffer for our faith or we'll suffer just for sickness or sadness. And it will hurt. But we don't fear. Instead, we're faithful, verse 10. Be faithful even to the point of death. He doesn't say grin and bear it. He doesn't say pretend it's easy. He doesn't say hide how you're feeling. He just says be faithful. I love this definition of faithful. To be faithful is to be clear in the face of fear. To be clear who God is, to be clear who you are, to be clear what you believe, to be clear that Jesus is the, the redeeming, ruling, reigning, risen king. God doesn't ask you to be brave or to be brilliant. He just says, be faithful. Trust me, cling on to me, hold on to me, take me at your word. Now, now before you say to me, Paul, I, I can't do that. I'm not a polycarp and I'm not a Richard Wormbrand. My faith is so weak. They're, they're my superheroes. You can do it. They were just ordinary men and women, but they had this, this faith in an extraordinary God. And Jesus says to his disciples, don't worry about what you must say, but the Spirit of God will tell you what you ought to say. That's what it means to be faithful. Whatever suffering you're about to face, don't panic, but just trust every minute of every hour of every day, God will give you sufficient grace Sufficient strength just to hold on to him in that day and the next day and the next day and the next day until you get to glory. He's not asking you to be a superhero. Just be faithful. And the promise is this, verse 10, I will give you life as your victor's crown. This is the crown. This beautiful picture of, of the Lord Jesus Christ at the finish line, not with a royal crown, but with a, a garland, with a medal that's going to hang around your neck. Now, now, please don't think gold medal at the Olympics because only one person wins a gold medal. Think marathon race. Think Ironman triathlons. The beauty of, of, of marathon running is that no one really cares whether you come first or last. 
That's not important. The, the, the important thing is that you just finish the race. You can, you can finish a marathon with every muscle of your body aching. You can crawl over the finish line. It doesn't really matter. As long as you cross that finish line, you will get a medal. That's the Christian promise. You can limp. You can ache. You can plod over that line. As long as you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. What is his life? Verse 11, the one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. He says, keep going. You can be confident the second death, this spiritual death, that is hell, will not hurt you. Let me ask you, are you a believer here tonight? Are you believing in Jesus Christ tonight? If that is you, I want to say to you, you've had two births and you'll have one death. You've had two births. You've had your physical birth the day that you were born, and you've had a spiritual birth the day that you were reborn when you were born again. Two births. And because you've had two births, you'll just have one death. That's called your physical death. And it might be painful, but that's okay. You will not have a spiritual death because your eternal life has started now. And the one who came out to life will just carry for all eternity. Two births, one death. But if you're not a believer here tonight, if you haven't yet called Jesus Christ your Lord and the Savior, you're here tonight with, with one birth, but two deaths. You've had your physical birth. You'll have your physical death, and that might be painful. But there's something way, way, way more painful that's called a spiritual death. The second death. And the Bible says that results in hell for those who don't trust in Christ. And that's why these annoying Christian friends of yours keep on talking about Jesus. Because they want you to have two births and just one death. Don't you want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant? I, I don't know what I'm going to suffer these next 12 months or these next 12 years. But I do know this. All God asks me to do is to be faithful. And he promises that he knows, he sees, he cares. And he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let me pray. Let's take a moment to remember our brothers and sisters around the globe who are in chains for their faith. Father, we lift up to you, Leah. There's 12 men in northern Vietnam. Mariam and Mazia. For our brothers and sisters in North Korea. Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, Somalia. In Turkey, in Indonesia. Father, for those men and women who tonight this very night may face death for their faith in Christ. Spirit of God, would you comfort them, sustain them? If it's your will, Lord, would you release them from captivity? We beg of you, Lord, that you would bring their perpetrators to faith in Christ, that they may see Christ and believe in Christ and change their ways. Father, we stand in solidarity with those brothers and sisters who suffer for their faith.
want to pray now for anyone in this gathering tonight who is in pain, either for their faith or just for sickness or sorrow or sadness or heartache. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you know and that we're still rich in you. We thank you in Jesus' name.